Hey everyone, so welcome back to another episode of the Black Create Connect podcast. Now I'm so excited about this guest today. I just want to give you all a backstory before I introduce them because I'm grateful that there's humans on earth that trust my energy <laughs> and trusted to come here today. So I actually went to breakfast and um, I went to a talk on diversity in the workplace and this incredible man. He had this amazing presence, you know, he was so engaging, he was saying things that were so, um, I guess, grasping and really insightful. And I thought to myself, I really just want to thank him for speaking. And I had no intentions of actually asking him to come or asking you to come as a guest today until, I don't know, I shook your hands and I thought, let me just ask, because I feel like my community in the UK needs to hear a lot of the things that you shared um, and probably more. So um, yeah, so without further ado, welcome Torin Ellis. Um, Torin Ellis is, he's an author of Rip the Resume. He is a coach, consultant. He's a speaker, podcaster, um, board advisor. Torin, feel free to introduce yourself. Welcome, yeah, welcome. All, all of those things, but most importantly, um, I'm black. I'm yes. Human. Uh, and I care about humanity, you know, and I often say, Alicia, that two of the most powerful words in our lexicon are love and process. That mm. if I love you, you don't care that I'm hitting you on your wrist mm. because you know that I love you. Yeah. For whatever reason he's doing that, yeah. he's doing it out of love. Yeah. But if you don't know that I love you, now you have to process, why is he hitting me on my wrist? Yeah. Why is he pushing me out of the way? Why is he not inviting me to a meeting or to this event or to the social, you have to process it. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that you'll arrive at a negative decision. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying love and process, two of the most powerful words in our lexicon. So that's who I am. I love that. I love that. Just out of interest, just to kind of get started on like you, because I really want to understand how you've come here today. Why and how did you kind of get into the DNI consulting space? What's what's that journey been like for you? So let me try to do it uh, in ninety seconds. Um, in corporate America, I ran one of the top sales teams for a telecommunications company in the mid nineties. I think my team was like number seventy out of seven hundred. We we were in the top seventy. Mm. And there were these moments where I would go through and I would develop individuals and then promote them. And a sign of good leadership to me is mm. how many people can you promote? How mm. many people can you push up, up the yeah. ladder of opportunity? And so I continued to promote individuals and push them in the organization. And we got to this one position and it was like 1998. And I, I developed and coached an individual that came into the company mm. and then they gave that individual a position that everybody in the building said that was mine 500 people knew torn is going to be the next manager they gave it to that woman so i walked away from corporate america in 98 because i was frustrated i was disappointed was she white she was white okay um and i also was frustrated because the the leader of that building said he couldn't trust a black man with hair on his face. So He said that, that to your face? Absolutely. So, and I didn't have the language, I didn't have the, I didn't have the resolve, I didn't have the composure to deal with that. 
because for me it was an on and off switch when I was in my late twenties and early thirties. Yeah. It was either I'm on full tilt yeah. or I'm gonna be quiet. And if I'm full tilt, it's a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't know how to really handle that in a way that would not place me in a precarious situation. I guess what's fair for me to say is I already know that about me because that on off switch got me kicked out of the military. I jumped across you the table. You was in the military. Jumped across the table and punched the officer in his mouth because he called me a boy. So I'm not a person who operates in my late 20s and 30s with right. a lot of composure. Either I just let it go or I'm going to deal with it and I'm going to deal with it head on. Walked away from corporate America, started a recruiting company. I'm way over my 90 seconds, but no, no, no. started a recruiting There's company. There's no limit. Um, and in all of the recruiting that I was doing, Alicia, mm. and you know the world of recruiting, mm. I was recruiting people that made $150,000, $400,000 a year. And mm. in, in all of these organizations, there was a lack of representation. Mm. But I was making a lot of money. Mm. And it was around 2010 that I just got frustrated with recruiting because it was no longer a challenge. Mm. I got frustrated with all of these reports around we care about diversity, these statements, we care about diversity, but it didn't really feel like anyone was doing anything Wait, about it. Wait, can I ask a question? Sure. The companies that you were recruiting for, did they say, oh, we care about diversity? Absolutely. Okay, so Telecommunication why? Telecommunication companies, financial services companies. Yeah. Absolutely. Tech companies. Yeah, we care about it, but mm. they weren't really doing anything about it. I could find you. Mm. I could find Terrence, mm. I was able to find people because I'm a great recruiter, mm -hmm. but their internal recruiting teams never seem to be able to do it. Mm. So after the economic, I'm sorry, after the bubble of 01, mm. the economic collapse of 2008, in 2010, I said, I need a different challenge. Mm. And so I'm going to go into organizations and I'm going to help their recruiting teams do a better job of finding uh, underrepresented and marginalized talent. Do you know what's crazy about everything that you explained? There's so much that I resonate with and I feel weirdly understood because I'm fiery like you, like how you were, I guess, at certain points because I've cussed people out to this day, yeah. like in workplaces. And the same reason as to why I started the Black Create Connect Network was because actually I was doing a search on LinkedIn and I couldn't find any black people in the search. And yeah. I was like, I put out a post saying, I'm creating a group so I can just post opportunities to yeah. the black community straight and then, away. And then you have the uh, hashtag Black Creative? Black, black Create Connect, yeah. Black, what was it, Black, Black? Black Create Connect. Black Create Connect, yeah. yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it was just being intentional. It yeah, was, yeah. you know, deciding that instead of complaining about the lack of diversity or representation, yeah, do something, do, do about, something it. about it. So go in as a consultant, help yeah. these organizations, recruiting teams to do a better job. So, hey, talk me through that because I do something similar as well. Where I'll do workshops, I'll do training sessions, but I've had sessions, no one ever lied with companies and a black girl's pulled me aside and said, this isn't having an impact like they're, they're they're faking it kind of thing interestingly enough the come one of the companies i won't mention their name that you spoke for i've done a workshop session with them two months ago full white company and i'm like oh, okay it's interesting that you're 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 hosting this discussion but i don't really see diversity at all in your company so where do you feel like companies need to wake up what are some of the key things they need to be considering and doing to really have an impact um, with diversity and inclusion 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many things, and that's the beautiful part of, of this work. First and foremost, more often than not, when we have the conversation around diversity and inclusion, it's a heavy conversation. It seems to be one that is more punitive and less promise. Mm. So first and foremost, I try to get people to shift their observation, their outlook towards the conversation of diversity and inclusion. Let's look at the beauty, the aspiration. Let's look at the arc of where we can take this mm. beautiful work right here. Mm. Let's not look at, oh, it's lost. Someone's taking something that belongs to me. Mm. Let's not focus on the pain. Let's not focus on, uh, and I'm not saying ignore it, mm. but let's not focus on the negative aspects of such beauty in humanity. Mm -hmm. And that's what I try to always tell people. Diversity and inclusion is about humanity for me. The mm. ROI of DNI is greater humanity. So, yeah, I want to impact the bottom line. I want the organization to make more money. I want the business team and the, the department to be more profitable. And I want them to extend their attrition. I'm sorry, decrease their attrition mm. and extend tenure and have different and deeper engaged. I want all of the things that matter in building an incredible organization. Mm. But I want to do it in a way that's aspirational. So what do I think organizations need to do? Number one, I think that they need to. I think that they absolutely have to live out that commitment, that tenant, that DNI is important to them. Mm. And that if they are not having leadership willing to model that, mm. then you got to be called out on that. You have to be. And when I say called out, sometimes I'll say called in. We can talk about that a little <laughs> bit later, you know, because there is yeah. a difference in that. And both of them are required. But mm. you, bottom line is you have to you have to be able to hold them accountable. Number two, you need to make sure that your recruiting teams understand what it looks like to be representative. If you have an homogenous recruiting team, it may be challenging yeah. for them to go into a community event in Brixton yeah. because they don't feel comfortable. Yeah. They're cool at Canary Wharf, yeah. but going into Brixton, yeah, that's yeah. not necessarily but my then, thing. Question, right? What can they then do? Because naturally people gravitate towards different environments and people just naturally sure. because of who we are. Sure. So what can they really do to, I guess, feel comfortable in those environments? Or is it okay for them not to feel, feel, feel comfortable? I think it's okay for us to not feel uncomfortable. We all have places where we do and don't want to go. That's yeah. not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is you can't overlook the talent in Brixton yeah. because everyone on your team is only comfortable in Canary War. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you need to diversify, first and foremost, your team. Yeah. So you need to be intentional. Okay, listen, we don't have representation from black voices, from brown voices, from the LGBTQ community, mm. people with disabilities. If they are not a part, we don't have that perspective on our recruiting team. Mm. Then first, we got to be honest and we got to do that. I know which company you're talking about. Mm. So from a geographic standpoint, what are the challenges there? You mm. know, if we don't have diversity or you don't have representation in that geography, then you have to be willing to say what in this role or what roles do we have in the organization where it's not required that the talent come from our geography, mm. that we can move outside of our typical radius. We can grab them internationally. We can be or become global it can be remote it can be someone agile or distributed mm. in location we just need to have a different perspective that company mm. and every other organization on the planet mm. watch what i'll tell you 
every single organization on the planet in March of 2020 mm. switched on a dime yeah. and worked remote. Mm. Every single company figured out how to take yeah. everything that they did in the building yeah. and do it in two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It and shows yet, if you want to do it, you can do it. And yet in yeah. 30, 40, 50 years, yeah. they haven't figured out how to go find people that are less than represented in our organization because so, they haven't been intentional. So when you start working with these companies, what's your first, like what are the steps you do to transform them? Do you start with the recruitment? Do you start internally with the leaders or the, the, the teams? Like what's your process? Yeah, first thing is I tell them the truth. Forget getting involved and engaged. The first thing is to be um, very direct and transparent in our initial conversations. Okay. I let them know I am not the person that is going to come in and coddle you. Right. I am not the consultant that is going to make you. I am the person, I am the consultant who is going to let the emperor know that they do not have clothes on. So as long as you wow. understand that that's who I am coming yeah, in, yeah. then we can determine, first and foremost, we need to do a discovery. I need to know where the organization is. And based on the conversation and how committed they are, I, I tend to tell them, Alicia, I need to look at all of the value points inside of the organization. Mm. And for the listener, the value point to me is learning and development, corporate social responsibility, board mm. governance, training, I'm sorry, um, recruiting, sourcing, employer branding, marketing, mm. finance, operations. I keep going. Mm. I look at diversity and inclusion in and everything. the value points. Yeah. What are the pluses? What are the minuses? Mm. How can we make it better? Mm. And we give them a report. Mm. And then from the report, I say, I can help you. We can help you with these things or some of these things mm. or none of these things because mm. it may not be something we do mm. i'm not a training and development firm mm, right okay so while i may evaluate learning and development to see what is there is not there how do we make it better yeah how do we have learning equity how do we have more uh on the syllabus how we have multi-dimensional experiences while i may be able to evaluate those or that value point yeah. i'm not the person who delivers that information. So I'm going right. to go out and find the right vendors right. to help them build up that particular aspect of the work. So for me, it's truthful conversations in the very beginning, mm. then performing a discovery, mm. delivering a report that they can read and implement on their own, mm. or they engage us to further implement for them. Mm -hmm. And typically a, a consultant engagement for me is somewhere between 12 and 18 months, typically. Okay. We can't get it done. In three months. Or, you can't. You just won't do yeah, it in three months. Yeah. You know, three months is like a speaker series. Or it's, you know, it, it, just, it just doesn't work that What way. takes place, though, in those 12 to 18 months? Because I'm, I'm also learning as well for sure. like from what you're saying. Sure. So are you just more so just evaluating, having conversations? Are you looking at the supplier list? Like, what are you actually doing within those 12 yeah, to 18 yeah. months? Yeah, yeah. So we're having individual conversations. Mm. So depending on what role you might play inside mm. of the organization, you and I will talk. Mm. a number of times mm. you and I will also gather or exchange information because I may ask you five questions but I may also email you five mm. and I want you to spend some time with those five mm. and send it back to me I record every conversation so you 
there's no way that I will be able to really live with what you are saying. I hear you in the moment. I'm mm. responding in the moment. But mm. also when I go back and listen to the recording, mm. I may say, wow, I didn't really catch that she said that. Mm. But here's what's beautiful. When I record, when I read your emails, mm. we start to put two and two together. When I receive something else from somebody on your team or mm. in the business unit, I get to overlay that. And then when I see something from this person right here, and then when I look at a piece of data coming from here mm. and I meet in the middle, I'm like, wait a minute. This is Let like me a go pattern. back to yeah, something yeah. she said at the three minute mark mm. in that very first call or the seven minute mark in that third call because I remember it. Yeah. So I go back and I'll say, let me go back to Alicia because I need to verify this or I need to push her a little bit more yeah, yeah. here. So I do phone calls, we do group calls, we do email exchanges, we do data review, mm. um, we look at employee engagement reports, we look at policy and procedure, handbooks, I look at uh, exit interviews, Everything. I look at as much as they'll allow me. Do you have a team that, that works with you? Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking this is a lot a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. And this yeah. this all under the Taurus um Torinella's brand. Torinella's brand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I my team is distributed. So wow. I have I'm in Baltimore. Okay. Uh, I have a person in Virginia. I have two people in Toronto, Canada. I have a person in Miami, Florida, and one person in Cali. So, I'm sorry, Seattle, Washington. So how have you effectively scaled? Because you sound like you're a brilliant consultant and you kind of notice the detail and you can kind of go into things. But how have you, um, I guess, scaled that to make sure that your entire team is reflective of that? So full transparency, I haven't effectively scaled. Okay. I haven't. You know, you, you're talking about a person who... In recruiting, I was doing a million dollars a year in less than 12 months. Mm. You're talking about a person who lost it in 2001 when the bubble burst. All the money? Lost it. Like you're like mentally? Business was gone. Oh. Business was gone. Rebuilt the business. Right. Lost it again in 2008. Right. Um, rebuilt it. Lost the seven-figure. And when I say seven-figure, $10 million contract in 2011. So, I mean, when I, when I tell you that I have built and lost and built and lost, 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 the losses are far more. They outweigh the building. How, and yet I've been out here for 25 years. So, on that, right, because I can't imagine the mental ups and downs that you might have been having at that time. How do you recover from that mentally? What, like, what, what type of practices do you do to, re to get through those moments of massive losses? Yeah, um, I don't. I don't even know if I really have a process, but I will tell you something that um, I love T-shirts. Okay. Um, and one of my old employees in '98, he had a T-shirt on, uh, and this is when I was in right before I left corporate America. Mm. And on the front of his T-shirt, this is no exa no exaggeration. Uh, on the front of his T-shirt, it said, "Why did God make me black?" And Are you on the serious? Back of his T-shirt, it said, "Because he knew that I could handle it." So when okay. you ask me, "What is it?" I'm just a person who has an unwavering belief in who I am. I have an unwavering belief that no matter what it is that I'm going through. Mm. I'm absolutely going to overcome it. And I don't know how long it's going to take for me to exit this dark moment, this period of rejection, 
know, I don't know what or how long it's going to be, but what I do know is that I can't give up. So that's the t-shirt. I say life is like wrestling a gorilla. You don't quit when you get tired. You quit when the gorilla gets tired. Let me say it again. Yeah. Life is like wrestling a gorilla. You don't quit when you get tired. Imagine a gorilla in this room. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and that gorilla is chasing us around this table. Yeah. You better make sure you are moving. Because if you don't and the gorilla grabs you, yeah. it's a wrap. Yeah. So you don't quit when you get tired. When that gorilla gets tired, yes. So when whatever that is that I'm going through is off of my shoulder, I'm just like, I'm gone. So... That's yeah. that's a like incredibly strong mindset you have. I feel like when I've ever heard people answer these type of questions, it's usually like I've had support, I've had family, I've gone to therapy, you know, I've turned to God, I've done different things. But I've you just seem you've done all those things. Oh, absolutely! I do okay. have family. I do have support. Okay. I do go through moments where I'm like, yo, for real, this like I don't want to talk. Yeah. I don't want to text. Yeah. They're dark, but you don't quit. You just mm. can't allow yourself to wallow in, oh, you lost the contract or someone told you no or yeah, this client didn't want to work with you. You just have to keep going. You just have to keep going. Like I, It's the same way that I talked on stage you know, yeah. a couple of days ago. We try to make these things more challenging than they really are. Yeah. Every single person goes through calamity mm. we start we look at social media and we look in magazines and we watch the news and we're always in we're we're, we're trying to transpose ourselves into the lives of other people mm. that's not your life mm. that's not your frequency mm. the most high gave you a frequency mm. you gotta live on your beat and you gotta I like be, that. You gotta live yeah. on your beat you yeah. can't rock on somebody else's beat uh Preach. It's, just, it's just not going to work that way. So it's ma mm. no matter what we do, there's no shortcuts. Mm. We, I mean, we just have to find our own beat. Yeah. And so I live on my own beat. I live on my own rhythm. Do I want what other people have? Do I want some of that success? Do I want what I had in 2001? Do yeah. I want those things? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I got a team. So we haven't scaled the way that I envision scaling. Okay. But that's all right. Because what I'm chasing is something bigger than scaling a consulting team. Let me give you an example. Yeah. I said a long time ago that the DNI space was too small for me. As big as the space is, mm. doing consulting was too small for me. It's, it's easy. Mm. I want something creative. Mm. So where I've been chasing for the last year and a half is... Who's the right contact for me to have um, in-flight movie service with 15, 30-second DNI commercials or messaging? Who's the right contact for me to create DNI shorts with Pixar or with Disney? So whenever young people, mm. children watch a commercial or a brand new movie, there's just this little two, three-minute episode. Mm. You see where I'm at? Yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 trying to influence something far bigger than the human resource space or the mm, talent acquisition mm, mm, space or the four thousand people that were at Wreckfest. Mm. I want to hit 
millions, mm. tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people. So scaling my consulting team, mm. okay, we haven't done it, but that's not, that's not the goal for me. Greatness for me mm. is impacting hundreds of millions of people, mm. changing the frequency and the way that they look at diversity and inclusion. So with some of the companies you've worked with so far, where would you say you've had the most growth and development? Is there like a standout client you've worked with and you're like, I'm so proud of how far we've come? You don't have to mention their names, but just like what that process. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all on my website. Some of them are on my website. But I will tell you, the thing that makes me the happiest about all of my engagements yeah. is if I can do get them to do one thing. And I said this on Thursday yeah. when we uh, were at breakfast. If I can get an organization, no matter what size the organization is, if mm. I can get that organization to commit to asking every single employee what did they do mm. to support the DNI efforts in the organization, then I know that I've won. Because most organizations right now on a performance evaluation, they're not asking a question yeah, around DNI. They're mm. not asking that question. They might hold an executive accountable for DNI, might mm. hold an executive accountable mm. for DNI. They might hold um, a, a senior leader ex, uh, accountable for DNI, but they're not holding a janitor accountable for DNI. Mm. They're not holding the bookkeeper accountable for DNI. They're mm. not holding all of the sales reps accountable for DNI. All of the people on the marketing team, or they're not holding, I want every single person mm. that's that greatness that i i talked about yeah. a moment ago so for me great is when an organization or standout is when an organization says you've made so much of an impact yeah we we understand how you you think about dni your philosophy your approach your methodology um you're marrying the business imperative with that so uh social method that social imperative you, you we get it so we are going to ask all 500 of our employees or yeah. all 5,000 of our employees or all 50,000 of our employees. Mm. When that happens, I know that I've won. So how do you quantify it though? Because I, again, I work internally and, and DNI is a massive word that's thrown around a lot of the times. And people say that they're, they're involved in it or they, you know, they value DNI and everything. But sometimes it's so hard to quantify. Like, how can I verify that you're actually being accountable from a DNI perspective? Employee engagement is one thing. Okay. So first and foremost, if I can lower attrition, then I can attribute a portion of that to feeling like you belong, okay. feeling like you um, are experiencing equality and equity, inclusive or inclusion in the organization. So if I can lower attrition, mm. that's quantifiable. Mm. If I can increase productivity, mm. that's quantifiable. Mm. Can you attribute all of it to DNI? Mm. No. But if I get more production and unlock more production out of Alicia, mm. because in the past, Alicia's leader was not leading, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, was not developing her, mm. was not inspiring her, mm. was not resourcing her, mm. was not supporting her. If, if those four aspects are missing and for whatever reason, Alicia is reclusive and mm. she's bent up, pent up, she's not given all that. Well, if I know how to unlock that mm. as a great leader mm. or if I can 
walk you through a process of mm. being a better leader, mm. how to model being an effective leader for Alicia. And now mm. Alicia begins to unlock and mm. give you more of that production. That's quantifiable. Mm. So if, if I can promote you, that's quantifiable. Mm. You know, it's there are a number of ways for us to evaluate and put measurement on the efficacy of diversity and inclusion. It's, again, it's measured the same exact way mm. that we measure everything else. Mm. The same exact way. Why is it important for, for businesses? I know that, you know, there's a stats that are thrown around 36% more profitable if you're more diverse. Why is it important for companies to even consider becoming more diverse? Yeah, I don't even, I, I tend to not even necessarily quote those stats, Alicia. What I quote is, you know, the bottom line is what type of organization do you want to be? Mm. And there are some organizations out there, Alicia, that are just not going to embrace DNI. And I am on record vocal that I want to see them go out of business. Period. I don't have any cut card for them. If they are not willing to embrace diversity and inclusion and equity and belonging and all of the things that once again, point to being better humans, mm. then I want to see your company go out of business. I could care less if you're profitable. I could care less if you're around mm. 100 years. I can mm. care less if history is fair and kind to you. So why is it important? To me, it's important because I want to see those organizations be the ones that thrive. I want to see those organizations be the ones that we support and that we we talk about that we are referring other individuals to. Mm, so mm, mm. to me, it's important because I feel like if we are bolstering up the companies that absolutely care about humanity, that care about us, then those companies will continue to grow and create mm. more opportunity and mm. reward and have better bottom line for their shareholders and their stakeholders. I want all of the things about business to apply to the companies mm. that care about DNI. For those that don't care, I want to see them go out of business. It's just that simple to me. Do you think that they'll organically just go out of business or do you think it requires people to just call them out? Because I, I, I mean, I had a company that I worked for that was actually at breakfast with a big stand that, I, that treated me horribly, horribly. And it's weird. Every time I see them or their logo, like something weird comes inside of me because of my experience with them. So, and I've had times where I think I just want to call them out and protest against them. But do you think that, you know, things will just happen naturally as they should? Or do you think there's actually a need for people to stand out and say, this company actually did this? Yeah, I don't think there's one response to that. I think, you know, it really depends on the person's experience. You right. know, and if there are enough people that had the same experience as Alicia Richardson, then those individuals may suggest and say, we need to do something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, this organization is harmful. They're extremely toxic. They're not only toxic, toxic to their people, but they're mm. toxic to the business landscape. Mm. So we need to absolutely do what we can to get rid of them. Mm. I'll give you an example. Uh, I was thinking, not thinking, I was uh, not planning, but reading Twitter last night before we uh, did this recording. Yeah. And they were talking about how one of the Supreme Court justices had, in the U.S. Mm. had to sneak out of the restaurant because there were people protesting out front of the restaurant about their recent Roe versus Wade decision so this reporter was in the white house briefing room asking a question and the way that he was posing the question was in defense of the supreme court justice mm -hmm. basically saying 
why do you and the president feel like it's okay for people to protest outside of a restaurant? Mm. And I'm watching this like, it's outside of a restaurant. Yeah, They can protest because he's eating inside. They would protest if you were eating inside. Mm-hmm. They would protest if I was eating inside. Mm. Just because he's a Supreme Court justice does not mean that we should not protest yeah. outside of an establishment yeah. where he is. Yeah. If we're not touching him and causing him harm, that is civil disobedience. Mm. We should be able to do that. So mm. I believe that there are some people that will feel aggrieved enough mm. like you and say, I need to protest. There are others that will say, you know what? Their product is inferior. Mm. Their service is inferior. Mm-mm-mm. Their leadership is inferior. Mm. Their culture is inferior. They will disappear on their own. So I just think that it's a it's a balance or it, it's a happening between, you know, a couple of different frequencies. But, you know, in the end, that's not what I focus on. What I mm. focus on, Alicia, are the organizations that genuinely want to do better. Mm-hmm. I don't spend a lot of time, you know, it may be a tweet here, a soft post yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I don't spend a lot of time on organizations that have not embraced diversity and inclusion. Mm. I don't spend a lot of time on clients in the past who, who um, they bring me in, but mm. they're not really, really willing to commit mm. to the work that I'm doing. Do you get a lot of those clients? Not anymore. Okay. I used to. And part of the reason why I don't get a lot of those clients now is because I have a different process mm. for embracing opportunity. Mm. I get a lot of organizations that reach out to me. Yeah. But I can test them in 15 minutes, in 20 minutes. They're not going to be serious. How'd you so, test them? Uh, first and foremost, I let them know that working with me is not cheap. So wow. if you are... Pressing it. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I, listen, um, I got a post up on Twitter right now. If you go to my Twitter account, okay. there are um, there are conference organizers that reach out and ask me to speak. Yeah. And they'll say, "Well, we're not we're not going to pay you, but we'll we'll give you exposure." I don't need exposure. Mm. People know who I am. Mm-hmm. Or if I need it, I'll, I'll I don't need that. Mm. And as long as I've been doing what I'm doing, then you you got to pay me. Mm. And I'm going to bring a frequency to your event that nobody else is going to bring. Which you did. So uh, yeah. if, in fact, you believe in the audience that you are assembling, mm. because what they'll say to you, Alicia, is we'll give you exposure. That says we believe in our audience. We mm. believe in the people that are attending the event. Mm. So if you believe in that audience the way you say you believe in them, then you share the risk with me. Mm. You pay me. And then if I get business from your event, I'll give you a percentage of the money back. And you but don't really have to anyway. I don't have to, but yeah. I'm willing. You want me to believe in them, then you share in that risk with me. Yeah. So on the consulting side, I let them know, you know, nothing. Proposals don't leave my desk for under $50,000. Ooh, what, for, for, for like a 12 to 18 month project. Won't even I won't even do a proposal if it's less than fifty thousand dollars. What? And I don't blink when I say it. You have this next level confidence because 
it's interesting that you're saying this because myself, so I work with a lady called Bami Katea and we do training sessions and DNA workshops. And we had a conversation like a month ago and it was like, we need to up our prices because we think we're charging, we're not charging enough. And she brought that conversation. I was, I was so uncomfortable with it. I, I was like, I know, but you know, we're trying to do good. We're trying to help people. She was like, we need to, we need to have that confidence to charge more. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why people feel like they, they can't charge a certain amount. Why do you feel like you can, or have you always been in this place where you can say nothing less than amount? How so did you get if there? You, if you go in as a consultant, first and foremost, yeah. you are playing in multiple roles in the organization. Yeah. So a portion of you is playing as their chief diversity officer. Yeah. A portion of you is playing as the head of operations. Mm-mm. A portion of you might be playing as the VP of talent. Mm-mm-mm. You might be sitting in some some aspect of ours are in the CHRO role. Yeah. So you, when you look as at yourself as a consultant, mm. you have to say, if I'm going to be moving through this organization, mm. wielding my acumen and my experience and my expertise, mm. uh, it may be a hundred hours in this capacity. It may be fifty hours mm. in this capacity, and I don't go. I don't do hourly either. Mm. I, I'm never. Going oh, is to, it? Oh, absolutely. I personally don't do hourly okay. because I'm willing to give you far more than I'm willing. I, I just emailed as I walked up to you. I just emailed a young lady. Um, he, I said, look, I'll be in L.A. next week. Yeah, I can't do the meeting that you need, but I will do a 20 minute phone call with you the day before yeah. just to make sure you're ready. Right. That's not part of my scope. Yeah. So I give so much more in my engagement than I'm charging you for. So to me, it just I don't ever want to say the the engagement's going to cost us or in require, let's just say a hundred hours. And now when I'm at a hundred and we haven't really hit what we need, Mm. we hit stride at 150 hours. Mm. I got to keep coming back to you and justifying why we're yeah, asking yeah 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 no, i'm just gonna look this is what it is i'm scoping yeah. it this is the investment you agree to the investment and if i feel like i've given you two or three times that investment then so be it yeah yeah i'm gonna give you more but you're never gonna cheapen me do you know when you pull it like that when you say you know i play the chief diversity officer the vp and this and that when you think about a yearly salary actually that's, that's exactly a bargain right. so but when you pull it like that that actually makes makes more sense absolutely are you expanding to the uk as well or are you just oh i have clients in the uk you got clients in the uk so how do you work with them is it just virtual oh no sometimes i'm here okay yeah sometimes i'm here it really depends okay. on what they require and what okay. we agree is is okay. necessary you know for the last two years though everything was virtual yeah. you know we weren't really going on site we just started going on site I would say for some of my U.S. clients, I started going on site last September, October. And then internationally, I came over in January. Um, so I think going forward, I may be back a little more often. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. So I want to touch on your um, your book. You said such, so many interesting things at the talk, actually, um, that related to not using resumes or not doing unconscious bias training and not using robots or like removing all the details of the resume and everything um but just starting with your book rip the resume what made you write that book and what are some of the key things that you cover in that book so um rip the resume is old 
Uh, I saved the domain name for Rip the Resume, I want to say in 2006 or or seven, something like that. I was sitting in the airport when I saved the domain name. Mm. Um, I wrote the book because I felt like, and I don't know what it's like here in London, mm. but in the U.S., we have historically black colleges and universities, mm. what's considered an HBCU. Mm. At many of the HBCUs, um, their career centers are less than, uh, what's the word that I want to use? Their career centers are not as, as aggressive about going to get clients and companies to come to their institution. Let me give an example. Mm -hmm. Most HBCUs, most. Mm -hmm. They're not going to have um, just a high-flying tech company like Google or Apple. Or, mm. They weren't. They wouldn't. This is back then in 2000. Now, mm. now things are a little bit different. Mm. They weren't aggressively going after an Apple, Google, or whomever and saying, "Come to our campus mm. and recruit our students." Mm. So, therefore, the students that were going to these campuses, they were typically going after jobs at like a rental car place or yeah. or maybe um, a hotel. Uh, could be a great hotel, but they weren't tech companies. Yeah. I knew tech was it. Yeah, yeah. I knew how important and powerful it was going to be in shaping our landscape. Mm. So I felt like the students were being underserved mm. even by their career center, by mm. their institution. Not purposefully, but just... They didn't know. I'm a recruiter. Mm. I see what's going on. The career center people, they don't really see what's going on. So I wrote the book because I didn't feel like black and brown kings and queens were being developed mm. and prepared for the workplace. Problem is that when I would go to the career centers at black and brown, that's why I have, I have no cut card. The problem is that at these black and brown institutions, mm. The provost, the president, the director of the career center mm. would never invest in having me come speak. They would never pay to have me come That's speak. Crazy. So I said, okay, well, they want me to come to the college for free because um, the person from the company, Northrop Grumman or Lockheed Martin or Marriott or Holiday Inn, mm. They would go to the campus and try to tell them how to do a resume or how to interview or what. But that's their job. Mm. My job was to try to develop. So I need somebody to pay me. Mm. They wouldn't pay. So I said, I'll just write a book. So okay. I wrote the book. And I wrote the book and released it in 2016. So that shows you how long I yeah. saved it in 06. Yeah. The book didn't get released until 2016, and mm -hmm. I wrote the book for college students. First time entering into the career. And I was on Sirius XM, which is satellite radio, for five years. If you look at the reviews on Amazon Four for my seven book. stars. Is it more than that now? Those reviews are mostly by people who have been in the career space 15, 20 years. Oh, really? So, so here it is. I'm yeah. writing it for recent college graduates yeah. or university, as you all say here, yeah. graduates, tenured people that have been working read the book and was like, yo, I wish I would have had this earlier in my career because the book tells you how to put a resume together, mm. talks about interviewing strategy, 
how you uh, do conversational mapping. Mm. It talks about just all types of conversational things. mapping. What's that? Conversational mapping for me. <laughs> I might say something like, you know, Alicia. So, I don't know. I mean, you must love flowers because I've looked around the room and I see right. different flowers all around the room. Okay. Or you know, something tells me that you are a person that is absolutely into style. Right. Because I looked over there and I saw an incredible handbag. Right, right. Every once in a while, you might light a candle or something. Does that like set the mood for you and off? So I ah. use different things in the in my environment yeah. to help me shape my interview because I want to make sure that I connect with them. You got an hour. Right, right. When I'm in an interview with you, I yeah. have one hour to connect to show you that I'm the person that you should hire that you should bring to be a, a part of your team. Yeah. So I have to do everything that I can to connect immediately. When we walked up, Terrence and I, you know, he introduced himself to me. He was cool with that. And then he said something. Boom, I latched onto it, sparked the conversation up two or three levels, and we did that in less than two minutes. Because I am absolutely about connecting. So that's what the book was about. The book was about how do I make it so that young kings and queens enter into an interviewing scenario yeah. with more confidence, more preparedness, mm. and are able to close the gap of opportunity sooner rather than later. So how do you think people from the black community could really put themselves out there effectively for the top opportunities? Because I've noticed that working with organizations, one of the things that companies struggle with is getting senior, like a volume of senior black professionals um, into workplaces. And it could be because we're not ever applying for the roles, we're not representing ourselves in, in, in the best way internally. It could be for a number of reasons, but what are some of the things that we can do as individuals to really like get to C-level positions and be respected when we're there as well? Yeah, I think so. I'll do everything I can to stay tight on this response. Number one, we have to be risk takers. Okay. You know, I think that uh, in the black community, there is this perception, there's a really, there's an undercurrent that we are not risk takers. We want things that are a little more predictable. Yeah. We want things to be a bit more manageable. Yeah. Go back in our interview and in our discussion, mm. you have an incredible intensity and willpower and belief in your mind. Mm. Everybody doesn't operate like that, but mm. we have to be willing to take risks. Listen, mm. it may, it may it may require that I lose a bit of compensation or it may require that I take a step back in title or it may require that I uh, find myself in uh, an organization that is a little less known, mm. but I got to be willing to take a risk. So that's that's number one. I think okay. we should be risk takers. Number two, I think that we should, as the good Bible says, study to show thyself approved. Mm. So in your profession become a virtuoso when i decided that i was going to by the way i don't have an academic degree you don't have a degree hmm, that wasn't in the bio you didn't read that and i didn't <laughs> add it to the bio why did i see you had a degree no you didn't see that you didn't see anything close to that you didn't see nothing so wait where where did you stop studying then after high school and you went straight into the military i went straight to the military yeah so oh, wow. study to show thyself approved. The reason why I say that is because when I lost that multi seven figure contract in 2011 that yeah. I mentioned, I for 30 days researched DNI for the last 100 years. 
So I know policy. I know executive order. Mm. I know the first company that was doing this. I know that. I don't remember all of it as mm. much as I did then. But for 100 years, I looked at what have we done in mm. DNI mm. before I hit the marketplace and said, I'm a consultant. Mm. So study. Let's be willing to take risks mm. and let's study. Mm. So I tell uh, candidates all the time, when you really want more professionally, Number one, they're going to look at creative contribution. Mm. What have you done? Mm. What have you delivered? Yeah. How have you saved us money? How have you made mm -hmm. us more money? How have you delivered something mm. in this organization to make us better? So mm. creative contribution is number one. Mm. Number two, market recon. Mm. I tell all of my candidates or any professional, you got to know your marketplace. Mm. Who are the players? Who are the threats? Yeah. Where are the opportunities to collaborate? who can be a strategic partner, know the landscape. Yeah. You will not know the landscape if you are not studying to show yourself approved. And then number three, Alicia, is conviction. Okay. Real simple. Creative contribution, um, market recon, and conviction. When I show up in a room, people know that I ain't messing around. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And no matter where I am, when I show up, mm. I'm showing up, period. Put me on any stage in front of any mic, I'm wrecking shop. Put me on any phone call with any executive, I'm wrecking shop because I have that conviction. I'm not milly mouth. I'm not unsure. I'm not, you know, my man said out front, I'm an aspiring writer. I'm like, an aspiring writer? No, mm. you're a writer. Mm. Let's operate in our expectation, our mm. beautiful gift and genius. I'm here because I've earned it. And I might make a mistake. Mm. I may not get it, but I'm not going to not get it because I'm kind of unsure mm, mm, mm. about why I'm in front of this microphone. So I'm willing to take risks. You have to be able to show that you can yeah. add value yeah. that you understand the playground, the sandbox that mm. you operate in, and then you move with all types of conviction. That is some incredible advice. I'm just soaking it all in, especially the last one of conviction as well. Um, I think some, some of the common questions that I get from members of my community is, Alicia, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know where to really go I'm trying to figure things out so they they haven't really identified and sometimes I'll do my best to try to say okay what do you like what have you done and they're lost what would you say to individuals that they really don't know what their calling is at the moment what, what would you say all right so before I answer that I mm. want to just go back to the first question I mean okay. the previous question in terms of getting into the c-suite yeah sorry you do have to find a mentor mm. you have to find a strategic mentor mm. so when you've done all of the other things that i've talked about yeah a mentor is typically somebody who operates in your zone Space. of genius yeah they're close to you you see them all the time you report to them you interact with them a lot that tends to be a mentor Okay. A strategic mentor for me mm. is somebody a couple of levels above me mm. that's outside of my business unit and department. Mm. So I want to, and why am I doing that? Mm. I'm doing that. I want that person up here mm. to pour into me mm. 
Mm. So that I'm more valuable to the business. Mm. See, you and I, Alicia, we in the same business unit. Mm. We're on the same team. Mm. We're doing the same podcast. It ain't a whole lot mm. that you can teach me about the podcast mm. that I don't already know mm. because we're doing it together. Mm. But if we had the person who owned the podcast mm. or did a different aspect mm. of the podcast, mm. maybe they can teach me something. Mm. Maybe mm. about the equipment, mm. maybe about how we go out and get advertisers mm. and sponsors. Mm. So now I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I can talk to Alicia. Mm. We know how to be a good co-host mm. and team or whatnot, mm. but how do I go out and make the podcast more money, more yeah. profitable? Alicia can't give that to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can. Yeah. So we need to have a mentor and a strategic mentor. So if we want to get into that C-suite, there are some things that we need to do yeah. to position ourselves to be attractive for that. So now for the person who is struggling on how do I identify um, what it is that I want to do, I don't know. I think you just got to do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think that there's really a formula for... You know, I think it's a little bit of trial and error. We we some people say, you know, double down on your um, uh, focus on your opportunity areas. There mm. are other people who have a philosophy of saying, forget the opportunity areas. I'm not good at writing. Yeah. So some would say, well, if you're not good at writing, just spend, you know, time writing every day. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm going to spend time mm. on what I'm good at. Mm. I'm going to spend time on researching so that my speeches and my talks are powerful. Good, yeah. I'm not going to spend time writing. Yeah. That's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I'm going to spend time trying to find that contact over at Pixar. Yeah. That contact at British Airways. Yeah. So I can get that greatness that I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm going to spend my time on the things that bring me joy. Yeah. I'm. That's where I'm going to be. I love that. I want to... I have a question to ask you in regards to the mentorship thing as well and strategic mentorship. Two questions. I think a lot of us, I say a lot of us, I have struggled to find a mentor because I haven't, I've rarely met people that have followed a path that I that inspires me. So I can I can be inspired by someone's journey and be like, that's great for you, but that's not what really I want to do, if, if that makes sense. So um, first of all, how do you, do you go about getting a mentor? What are some of the steps you, that you can take? Because I think that's been a struggle. And also, what do you think men, people that are mentors, what do you think they look for in mentees as well? Yeah, I'll go with the second one first. I think what they look for is a person who's willing to listen. Mm. You know, I don't think people really want to use and spend their time with people who are not willing to listen. Yeah. It's okay if they, oh, it's not really for me every once in a while. But if you want me to mentor you in mm. everything that I tell you to do, mm. you're resistant, you push back, it mm. can't be done, mm. you're negative, yeah, that's not really a good yeah. relationship. Yeah. So I think mentors want people that are not only going to listen, but that are going to be willing to take action. So mm. that's the second thing. What do I think we need to do on the front side and finding mentors? I think that we should be patient. Mm. Mm. I think that when we, you know, you, I'll use you as an example. Mm. You know, when we stood under the tent and mm. you shook my hand and you introduced yourself to me, you said to me, well, I won't say what you said, but you asked me to be on the podcast. Mm. I said yes. Mm. I think that in a mentor relationship, that's something a little more intimate. Mm. That's a bit more involved. Mm. So if you would have stood under the, under the tent on Thursday and said, Torn, would you be my mentor? Mm. I would have said that was so premature. Mm. 
Mm. I don't think that we exhibit mm. enough patience. Mm. Being on the podcast mm. is one thing. Mm. Being a mentor is something different mm, mm, mm. and i don't think we exhibit enough patience mm. when we try to evaluate that relationship or that potential of a relationship mm. because it is a relationship mm. so i just think that we need to operate with more patience i think people know what needs to be done i just think that they are firing a little bit too quick so slow down how many people have you mentored today do you think I don't know. I mean, I have people who, who email me and say that they are, I'm their mentor. Um, I have a beautiful young lady down in Miami. Her name is Anna. I won't say her last name, but she she has time on my calendar for probably the next year. Really? Yeah. That's incredible. And she's in an organization. Mind you, I got a team of five. Mm-hmm. So what you're asking me is, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not a, I'm not a corporate executive. Mm-hmm. I, I just want you to really hear that. Mm-hmm. I am not a corporate executive inside of a large organization mm-hmm. mentoring people. Mm-hmm. I am, in many ways, an individual mm-hmm. who people have latched on to and said, I love his flow or mm-hmm. his style. or. Mm-hmm. So I can't even tell you. I have... It's probably 15 or so people right now. That's incredible. Yeah. Like, that you'll have an impact in those individual lives as well. Like, that's amazing. And um, I feel like from speaking with you in this conversation and following on from the talk, you just have a trustworthy vibe. I feel like the reason why people will listen to you, mentors listen to you, mentees, sorry, is because they trust what you're saying. And I feel like your yes is your yes, your your no's your no's, and your I don't know's are your I don't know's as well. Like, you just have so much, such a trustworthy energy. I don't know what it is. Yeah, that that is what it is, though. I mean, because, again, I don't... I know what it's like to... um, in many ways, Alicia, I know what it's like to not have mm. a mentor. You know, I I can honestly say that I, I remember once once um in 2008 trying to get a mentor. Yeah. I actually flew down to Orlando. Yeah. Met with the guy. Um, can I tell the story? Go ahead. Go ahead. So my cousin set me up with a meeting. The gentleman was running a $700 million company mm. in March of 2008. Mm. Flew down to Orlando. When I walked into the office, you know how you have carpet down and then there's plastic over the carpet mm. because they're moving furniture. Mm. When I walked off the elevator, I saw all of the plastic because they were moving furniture. Mm. I could smell the paint. They had just moved into the office like mm. that week or weekend. Mm. This is no exaggeration. Mm. We sat and talked for close to two hours. At the end of the meeting, he said, Torn, I really don't have the bandwidth to be your mentor. Oh, wow. It's fine. No problem. I didn't take offense to that. When we walked back to the elevator, Mm. now mind you, they just moved in Mm. that day. Mm. This is March of 2008. Mm. When he took me to the elevator, he said, I have two deals, one in this hand and one in this hand. If either of these deals close, 
we will outgrow this space. This is what I'm leaving him on. Mm-hmm. August of that year, the economy crashed. Okay, March 2008, mm-hmm. he's telling me I don't have the bandwidth, brand new office space doing $700 million, mm-hmm. close any one of those deals. They need to move out of the office that the plastic is not even up off the ground mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. August of 2008, the economy crashes. Mm-hmm. Cool, no problem. I stay in touch with him. Even though he's not my mentor, I would send him a message every 12 months, 10 months. Mm-hmm. Hey, how you doing? How things going? Four years later. Mm-hmm. They crossed one billion dollars. His company. His company. All I could say to myself: first of all, I sent him a message saying mm. congratulations. Mm. Then I sat back on my chair and I said, "What would my life be like right now if I could have gotten an hour a month with him?" Oh my gosh! If he's at seven hundred million, yeah, and the economy collapsed, yeah, whatever they needed to do. He crosses the one billion dollar yeah, threshold yeah, yeah. four years later. Yeah. What would my life that's the one mentor that I wanted? Wow. And just wished that I could have had. So when I say just you have to be patient, yeah. You just have to be patient. Mm. And he's still killing it right now. Is he in, is he in the same space as us as well? I feel so inspired by that. Absolutely. To know there's that much money as well in the space. To Kill know it. that there's that much money in the space. I'll stay yeah. in it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stay in it. Yeah, one of my friends now, he's sitting on top of a $100 million company in our space. They do, um, you know, uh, recruitment process outsourcing, RPO firm. They really? Firm. Yeah. Brother. I feel like I need to come guy. to America and do this because yeah, money doesn't <laughs> don't know if it exists in the UK. Hundred million dollar company, black guy. Wow, yeah, he's one. Of I love that. That's so ins- like that's so inspiring because sometimes I feel like whenever I explain my vision and what I'm doing, of course people are like that sounds great, but I'm like, do you get it? Do you understand the bigger vision? And hearing this makes me feel like I'm I'm really working towards something yeah. like massive. So I'm just I'm so appreciative. I'm really emotional, by the way. So. I'm so grateful that you gave me your time today. I'm going to cry. <laughs> this is so weird. I'm so grateful because I feel like, um, yeah, God allowed me to meet you and be inspired by you and just kind of reaffirm what I'm doing. So thank you so much. You are most welcome. I appreciate and it. No, I mean, it's uh, it's not an opportunity that I take lightly. Mm. You know, uh, for you, it was... It, it, it was, I don't know if this person is going to say yes because you saw me as as someone bigger than being in the tent. Mm. You saw me as someone bigger than, you You saw me, if I can say this, Alicia, and mm. feel free to correct me, but you saw me as someone bigger than your podcast. Mm. And I'm not. I'm not bigger than your podcast. I am a part of your journey, mm. period. So our paths crossed. You did the right thing by opening your mouth and saying, would I be here? And I'm like, absolutely. I would have done it when I went back home. But you were like, no, no, no. No, no, no. No, no bro. I need you in the studio. I was like, I was like uh, I'm saying to myself, like, okay, cool. Uh, I'll figure my way out. I'm getting pretty good with this whole train thing. And we're going to make it work. So okay. I just want 
I want you, I want you to believe, and this is not that you don't, mm. but I want you when you that conviction that I spoke of, yeah, yeah. when you make the request, I want you to believe in and be inviting people to something that you see as mm. incredible. Yeah. You know, it, it's an honor for you to be here, but it's also an honor for you to be on it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I don't take it lightly that you trust my voice mm. with your people. Mm. This is your tribe. Mm. I got my own tribe. You trusted mm. me with your tribe. Mm. So thank you. I thank you for allowing me to, you know, spend a bit of a Saturday morning before I head back to the U.S. Mm. You know, just vibing with a new audience of people. And so while I got you, I'm gonna look straight at the camera. Yeah. Crazyintheking.com. <laughs> Crazyintheking.com. <laughs> Crazyintheking.com is our podcast. And let me tell you, um, I do the podcast with a, a white woman who has a hidden disability. Yeah. So when we thought of the name, I said, this is going to be a little offensive. Crazy. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I thought when I saw it. She was like, nope. <laughs> she Crazy said, I King. want people to know that I operate, I fully function in all of my glory with my hidden disability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and people call me the king of DNI. And so um, that's what it is. Crazyintheking.com. So if you're out there, subscribe, follow, listen. We drop a new episode every Thursday. Yeah. Uh, we just keep it raw and transparent. And we are pushing the boundary on, you know, what it takes to really be inclusive. I love that. And just for anyone else that wants to follow you and connect with you, how else can they find you? Across all of social media at Torinellis. It's real simple. At <laughs> Torin Ellis. My website is Torin Ellis. Across all of the socials, I'm at Torin Ellis. Yeah. Even on crypto platforms, I'm at Torin Ellis. Like, okay. I don't play around with my name. So, if I can go out there and get it, yeah. I will get it. Yeah, you know, yeah. somebody on Snapchat or TikTok, I can't remember because I'm not on either of those platforms. Yeah. But they got it before I could get to it. <laughs> and I don't Dude. plan to use it, but I want to protect and... Your name. Yeah, I just yeah. want to be able to protect my name and brand. Yeah, 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 I love it. And that's it. not a pompous thing. It's just I want to I want to know that if I go into a space that I can have Torinellas and I don't have to add a whole bunch of numbers and characters yeah, to yeah, get yeah. to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I love that. Well, I'm going to protect my names. Everyone protect your names on all platforms, FYI. Yes, yes, but I just want to thank you again and just, yeah, shout you out. Thank you so much for taking time out to come today. Wishing you a safe flight back. You're going to LA tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I go to LA Monday morning. Monday I go morning. To Baltimore tomorrow. Okay. LA okay. And I'm sure that the universe will allow us to reconnect again in future. So, you know, I'm, I'm putting it out there. But thank you so much for your time. Bad will be the day for any man or woman when they become absolutely contented with the thoughts that they are thinking, with the deeds that they are doing, yeah. with the life that they are living, when forever beating at their soul is some great desire to do something more be more and to give more because you Alicia are a child of the most high God amen 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 I receive it thank you guys thank you so much I'll see you in the next episode